0: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common?
1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Another great primetime game. We have been spoiled so far this season. You get spoiled for the next two hours. Mike along with Mike. Week two, Mike Golick, Mike Florio, two full hours to break down everything that happened on the Sunday that was. Good morning, Mike. How are you, pal?
0: I'm doing well, Mike, and let me tell you what. I, it, give me a player that says, no, I don't want to go for it, and give me a guy I don't <laughs> want on my team. I mean, who, who's, who's yeah. going to say, could you imagine him sitting there saying, well, Michelle, That's I fun. said, no, I don't think we should do it. I don't, I don't think we should go for this. Everybody's like, what the hell's he doing? Nobody's saying No.
1: Well, it did harken back to that moment in Seattle a couple of years ago where Lamar had to be a lot more forceful, saying, get the punter off the field, we're going for it. And this time, John Harbaugh gave him the option, knowing damn well that he was going to say, <laughs> let's go for it, let's get this thing done, let's not put this game back in the hands of Patrick Mahomes. And this was the opportunity, you could see how much it meant to Lamar to finally get that victory over Patrick Mahomes. He could say all he wanted last week that it's not about me versus Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Sammy Watkins came out the next day and said, yeah, it really is about him versus Patrick Mahomes. But there was an extra level, even more than that passion he normally has. It was higher because he finally, after three losses against Patrick Mahomes, beat him, beat the Chiefs. And I don't know where they go from here, but they got to a place where I think Lamar wondered, would I ever get?
0: Well, I, you know, and, and Mike, I think it even goes above that. There's the individual part of the game against Patrick Mahomes. Certainly there's that, you know, that, there's that competitiveness. But remember the chatter before the season started that some analysts out there were saying, the league has figured out Lamar Jackson. And let me tell you, when players say, oh, I don't look at social media, I don't read stuff, I don't hear stuff, they're lying. They are lying. They hear it all. And so Lamar Jackson, I'm sure, has heard, the league is figuring me out. And he knew he was going to have to pass better. We all knew he could run, and we all now know that he has some acrobatic abilities as well. Uh, But we know he could run, and he did it last night going over 100 yards yet again, but he's gotta be able to pick up the passing game as well. Something he was able to do by throwing for almost 240 yards, did have those two interceptions as well. But I do think even though he has been a league MVP, he has shown what he can do. I still think with him, he's young and he's hearing those things that I've been figured out that he wants to prove I can be the total package. I can be a guy that can run and can avoid contact because we all keep saying, man, the athletes are better in the NFL. He's going to get lit up when he runs the ball. Well, it hasn't happened yet, and if he can continue to up his passing game along with it, then there may be more MVPs in the future for that young man.
1: And, Mike, I'm glad you mentioned the two interceptions because they came so early in the game, it would have been very easy to adopt a demeanor of not our night. You know, we had the tough game on Monday night. Physical extra 10 minutes almost of football. The long flight at home. Nobody expects us to win in this spot. I know. I didn't expect them to win in that spot. They could have had a better shot against any team but the Chiefs. It's The worst possible moment for the Chiefs to be coming in for the Ravens. I think that's what makes the win even sweeter. That they got the victory when they felt pressed against the ropes from the moment the game started. And they never gave in. They never gave up. They keep they kept going and going no matter how far behind they were. And uh, it's just, just amazing. I, 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 yeah, So many great games already this season, and the Ravens already in two of them. It's exhausting, and they've got 15 to go.
0: So and I think you know let's let's keep spinning this because this is what we do while teams play it week by week. That's what I used to do. Now we can just forecast whatever we want. Who cares? You know, for right or wrong, it's nice to be right, but we can just say whatever we want. But going forward, you know, now listen. So you play the Chiefs, you do, you get the uh, the, the fumble by um, uh, uh, Edwards-Hilaire as well. That doesn't help on that side. But understand how potent the offense can be for the, the Chiefs, even though they didn't score their last three possessions. They had twenty less plays than Baltimore. They had the ball for 11 less minutes than Baltimore, and they still put up these kind of points. So if you're going to overtake uh, Kansas City in the the AFC, which is what everybody's trying to do, you have to score a lot of points. And in two games, Baltimore on the loss put up 27, and in the win put up 33. My quick math says they're averaging 30 points a game. You have to be able to score a lot of points to beat Kansas City. Rarely is it going to be a 10-7 game or a 17-14 game, so you have to have that. ability and Baltimore does have that ability to put a lot of points on the board so as you look later in the season for potential matchups we see this offense has the potency even though it has the chance Mike to make some mistakes when you have a great athlete like like Lamar making plays they always think they can make plays and that can lead to turnovers which we saw in those couple of interceptions
1: Hey, Mike, excellent point on how to beat the Chiefs because we've seen the Raiders skew toward trying to build a supercharged offense. The Broncos a few years ago, all the draft picks on receivers and guys like Noah Fant, and they thought Drew Locke would become their franchise guy and they're going a different way now, but it was all about they're going to get their points in Kansas City. We just have to find a way to score with them and hope that in a key moment we can bend things our way. You mentioned the Clyde Edwards-Alaire fumble. Udafe Owe makes the the strip and the recovery to change the game at a time when it just felt like same old Chiefs. Give them a crack. Give them an opening. Give them the ball. Who cares if they're behind? They're going to find a way to win the game. And that feeling had crept in. And there it is. Game changes dramatically in that moment. We've seen that a few times already this year. But it's extra. Important when it happens with the Chiefs because they've developed an aura over the past three years that things like this don't happen to them.
0: So I, I'm wondering, Mike. At this point, we're two weeks in. You know, we're just a couple of weeks in, but still, you know, we, as I said, we look forward to do the, the the hot take or or, or so whatever you want to call it. Are you are you off on Kansas City now? You still have them the favorite, or listen? There's two other teams in their own division that are undefeated. So, are the Chiefs still the team to beat, or, or are you already kind of falling off of them a little bit?
1: Well, no. I, I, am I going into this year? I said there's there are nine teams that could be regarded as high level contenders in the AFC, and there's only seven playoff spots. And yeah, I, I I see Bills, Patriots, Steelers, Ravens, Browns, Colts, Titans. Chargers, Chiefs. And now we gotta put the Raiders in there. I don't know who falls off. Maybe the Colts fall off at 0 2, and with questions about Carson Wentz, we'll talk about that coming up. Yeah, but yes. th- the Chiefs don't have that same perception of a clear shot back as the Buccaneers do. They're gonna have to fight for it, as we saw last night. Fight and scratch and claw. That do it against the Browns, they'd do it against the Ravens. Now at some point the schedule will soften, but it just shows you what will happen when the Chiefs cross paths with some of these great teams. And that's great for us as fans and analysts. We get, to, we get to enjoy great games because people aren't just hiding in a corner whenever the Chiefs come to town. They have extra motivation to prove that they belong, as the Browns are trying to do, as the Ravens are trying to do, as everybody. The Bills are coming very soon on a Sunday night, I believe, for the Kansas City Chiefs. So they're going to be taking the best punches that everyone has, and it creates some intriguing football. And you have to... Hey... Uh, uh, last night when the Ravens were facing fourth down, Mike, you know, I the analytics, there's one factor in the analytics. Don't give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. If you do, you're going to lose. Right. And uh, and I was concerned when they got the ball back. It reminded me of what the Giants did on Thursday night. Like, we have been given a gift and we are not going to take full advantage of it. We're going to get conservative. They had the the run where Lamar kind of sat down. It's like, oh, they're playing it safe and they're going to be content to punt it back. Do not do that. And when they completed the pass on third down to get them close, that's when all of a sudden it's like, they're going to flip this from, we're, we're, we're just going to be content to give them another chance to, we're going to go take it. That's what made, I think, the decision to go for it even more stunning because they were creating a vibe of... We're, we're happy to make them use their timeouts, and we're happy to give the ball back to them and we'll trust our defense again.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm with you because I've never really been a fan of that. Now, if you have a great defense that you can rely on, I, I understand it a little more. But, I mean, listen, in – in meetings, in game planning, you're always talking about attacking. In this day and age, well, really, really all the time, it's about dictating. Who's dictating to who? You want to dictate as a defense or the offense wants to dictate, which means you need to attack. You need to get after. You need to show them what you're doing and saying, we're going to have the upper hand. Then I never understood it how you all of a sudden go into the shell and say, I know there's the philosophy of make them use their timeouts, take time off the clock. I, I, I get it. But there's part of me that says, If you don't give them the ball back at all, they don't get a chance. There's nothing they're going to be able to do if they don't have the football. So sometimes I get a little crazy, even when I was playing, and I'd see the offense go into a shell and say, I I know we had a really good defense, but there was times like, let's just win it. Keep the ball. Let's just win that thing. And at times when I don't see it, it can be a little frustrating, even as a fan.
1: Best way to beat Patrick Mahomes is keep him on the sidelines. Here's. John Harbaugh, the coach of the Ravens, on the decision to go for it on that key fourth and one. With the game on the line you guys, uh, you were captured on NBC as saying to Lamar, do you want to go for this? Was there ever any doubt?
0: No, there wasn't, but I, uh, I just, maybe I wanted to be sure myself, you know? I, I knew he was going to say yes, so, uh, but we were going for it at that point. Would there
1: have been a doubt if it was any other player or quarterback if you didn't have Lamar?
0: Well. I, Mahomes, I bet they're going for it, too, with Patrick Mahomes. How about that?
1: Good answer. Makes sense. Yes. <laughs> and and, yeah. and that's the way it's, you know, I, I people can complain about analytics, but it really has given coaches a much safer harbor, Mike, than they used to have when it comes to doing the thing that would appear to be unconventional just a few years ago. Coaches would always do the conventional thing because if you do the conventional thing and it doesn't work, okay, hey, you did the conventional thing. You start doing the unconventional thing and it doesn't work and you string enough of those together, you get your ass fired. That's all changed now because they've all got the formulas to back up what they're doing. And frankly, if the numbers are saying do the unconventional thing and you don't, Then you got to answer to people in the organization who have they got the abacus out and they're saying, hey, you should have done the unconventional thing. So I think some of the coaches just resigned themselves to it. It's like, fine, fine, as long as I got cover, let's go do it. But it has created this willingness now for coaches to roll the dice where we're not as stunned by it as we used to be.
0: See, I don't know, I don't know how much, and I want to know how much of an analytics guy you are, Mike, because I, I'm somewhere in between. I, I get it, I believe in it, and, and I and I've also said this many times over the years to, to, to people and to fans, analytics have been around a long time, not just in the last few years. When I had a game to a plan put down in front of me every Wednesday or even in college, you know what was in that? Analytics, I was told what the other team does, the certain plays they run on second and seven plus, on third and five or less, on fourth and two. You have all that laid out. Those are analytics. It's just part of your game plan. The analytics have gotten more gotten more intricate, without question, especially in baseball. Now, you know, they're hiring managers who want to go who, – who they want them to go by analytics. I'm cool with analytics. I get it because we've seen more coaches go for fourth downs than we have or two-point conversions than we have. But also, I don't think, Mike, you can lose your gut feeling. I don't think, I mean, coaches have that, players have that, and sometimes, you know, it's like in baseball when I see them pull a pitcher because the analytics say pull it, and sometimes the pitcher, man, you think you can get that next player, that that next batter out. You know, what do you do? That's when I think you're right if you're a manager or a coach worried about what management is going to think if you don't go by the analytics. You're afraid to go with your gut anymore, and sometimes I think you lose out that way because I think going with that gut feeling at times can be the right way to go. So, I, I mean, are you an analyst? guy all the way the same
1: page no no we're on the same page we're on the same page with it because I don't think you should disregard the lifetime of experiences iterations games decisions factors and gut feelings that come from that that your head coach is going to have regardless of where the numbers point I think you've got a very important reservoir of a lifetime of analytics that knows deep down without punching all the buttons what is the right thing to do here. You can't ignore that. But it really has gotten to the point where it's so detailed. My concern is, and this is where I think that some coaches are hesitant to just adopt, all right, it's fourth and four, the chart says go for it. The numbers say go for it. We put all the factors in. And it's amazing how many factors get considered when they come up with these formulas. But, you know, the formulas are based on thousands and thousands and thousands of situations that are similar to it, and there's just a little sliver of an incremental benefit to go for it. Well, that's fine, but I you know what, as the coach, I don't have the opportunity to do this thousands of times. I do it a few times and it doesn't work. I'm done. That's the what that's the big flaw that I see. Coach has a finite opportunity to win games, finite opportunity to have solid seasons, or they're gonna find somebody else. So I think the coach's experience and the coach's gut feeling has to be a factor in this. And John Harbaugh's experience with Lamar Jackson is trust him because he is superior when it comes to the ability to run the ball into the line and get the yardage you need. He's superior to anyone else out there. So that's a strong factor in your own personal analytics decision.
0: I agree, and maybe maybe these coaches have – we know they have the cards now for when to go for two points, but also maybe they need that analytical – the get-back coach Santa right next to the analytical coach. and an, Analyzing things and numbers have ruined things for me. The thing that's ruined it for me is when they put the calorie content at my favorite restaurants because now a number is associated <laughs> with the food I'm going to eat, and all of a sudden I can't eat the frigging food I want to eat because the number associated with it is too high.
1: <laughs> uh, let me take you back to 1992. I'll never forget the day where the FDA started to require the information to be put on all the food that you buy, and and like like you know, 80 percent of the stuff that I really like, it was now guilting me into not eating it. Yeah, I don't want to know. It's a horrible day. All I know is it tastes horrible. good. Horrible. All right. Uh, yeah, that's yep. good. Yep. That's exactly funny. right. Uh, hey, let me tell you one other thing I've heard about the the dynamics of analytics, w- w- how it's changing. NFL teams is that the owners are much more astute now. The owners understand that part of the game so much more than ever before. And when the coach tries to work his interpersonal magic and a lot of its fluff and BS and force of personality, the owner's got, you know, the MIT grad to his right yep. that can supply well, what about this? What about that? Do you think about this? Do you think about that? Where in the past, the owner would just sit there and not expose his or her own ignorance and just keep their mouth shut and listen to the coach. The coach gets a lot less deference in the building than the coach used to.
0: Oh, I completely agree. And that's why it's interesting which coaches get hired. If you get a coach who's been around for a long time, they're not going to be Kind of, they're not going to have that feeling that maybe a younger coach has that says, I may have to defer to these numbers. Hopefully, they accept the numbers a little more than they have in the past because you have to open yourself up to new things as the game progresses and as analytical analytical numbers become more, you know, intricate. So I get that. But maybe when you see these, Assistant coaches, especially younger assistant coaches, becoming, you know, 37, 38, 42-year-old head coaches, they've been around the analytics a little more, so you may have that buy-in a little more, and that's may be why they're getting hired a little more, whether it's in the college ranks or the pro ranks, because now we have the the analytical group growing up that says, okay, this is now part of everything we do, When, as I said, it's been part of it for decades already, but there's just more numbers to crunch now.
1: As I mentioned, for me, there was one factor on the chart last night on that Ravens' final drive. Do not give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. Here's Mahomes yep. after the game talking about the Chiefs' first loss of the season.
0: Patrick, your thoughts on the, on your last uh, offensive drive that you know turned into a turnover?
1: Yeah we uh, we got in the we got in the field range pretty quickly there, uh, and then we were just we were pretty much just trying to get down as close as we could to let Bucker uh, kick the field goal and. The dude made a good play. He was getting blocked. He threw his hand out and hit the hit directly on the ball. So I mean, um, we were executing. They made it. They made a play, and you lose games when teams make plays like that at the end of games. We haven't seen this much from the Chiefs, especially in September. Mahomes threw his first September interception of his career, but it all came down to that fumble. Mahomes did what he could, but hey, we, you you put up thirty-five points, but you have three final possessions and you don't score at all. It's going to be a factor. It's going to it's going to result in a bad night for the Chiefs. We don't see many bad nights for the Chiefs, but when they happen, they are memorable. And Mahomes was still Mahomes, but as you said earlier, when they come up against somebody that can score points, it makes it a little bit harder for Mahomes to save the day.
0: Well, you know, and again, is this a situation where, and you youngsters, if you haven't seen it, is this Rocky making Ivan Drago bleed? You know, look, he bleeds, <laughs> he's human, like everybody else. You know, Mahomes <laughs> threw an interception in September. Oh, my God. But this is how you build teams. I remember the, the late, great Fritz Schirmer, great defensive coordinator. He would make sure or, or put his input into drafting Defensive players that they needed to beat the offensive teams they needed to beat. If a team had big big wide receivers, he wanted them to draft bigger corners. So now in the AFC, you have got to d- draft and build your team to score points. Because this Kansas City team right now isn't going anywhere. You know, this is a young cat and they've paid guys very well on that team and, and played with the cap very well. They're going to have these great players around for a while. So if, if just what we've been talking about, if you plan on overtaking them, you better draft, free agent trade whatever to build your team to score 30 points or more a game for you to get past Kansas City and get to the promised land.
1: I mentioned the Raiders earlier. They're one of the teams last year, one of the very few teams last year that found a way to score enough points to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And, And I admire what both the Ravens and the Raiders did that that very physical demanding game on the short week turnaround and the extra time played and I thought both of them were screwed this week frankly and uh, confirming yet again that I don't know crap they both won the Raiders (laughs) went to Pittsburgh and pulled off the 26-17 victory here's John Gruden talking about the the victory that sends the Raiders to 2-0.
0: I'm not going to be a philosophical Socrates up here. We're all confident. We, we, we have a confident group. We were confident last year. We lost some heartbreaking wins. You know, gut-wrenching, disgusting losses at the end of football games. So we have a long way to go. We're nowhere near perfect. God bless you. Sorry to interrupt you.
1: This really is Pete Rozelle's vision of the NFL come to fruition where any given Sunday, any given week, the league is so packed together and these games, so many of these games are going down to the wire and sometimes it goes your way and sometimes it doesn't. And what a swing that is if you're the team that wins versus the team that loses, Mike.
0: What the Raiders have been doing, you know, and what they did to the Steelers, I know you said nine teams have a shot. I'm crossing off the Steelers. They do not have the offense that can compete right now in the AFC, and I don't. I don't think that's getting much better. They're one of the more than a few teams, like the team they played in the Raiders, who have revamped their offensive line. Let Let's just say it for what it is. The Raiders' running game is. Awful. Josh Jacobs was not in that game. He had the ankle injury. They had what averaged about two yards a rush. It was horrific. But Derek Carr is playing out of his mind. They're living off the pass. He has over 800 yards in two games. And the defense, the defense is to me what's playing. On pace. Yeah. (laughs) I love the on pace, and I'm going to get into that at some point as well. But the defense is playing well. Max Crosby, you know, doing a couple sacks again, five as a team. But Derek Carr and what they're able to do just passing the ball, because you're playing them, you know they're not running the ball well. They were literally playing with three backup offensive linemen on an old line they've already basically disintegrated in the offseason, which had us all scratching our heads, which had us all basically saying, ah, you know, the Raiders are going to be out of it because what the hell did they do in the offseason? Well, look what they're doing now. Now, before everybody and Raider fans uh, start buying the Super Bowl tickets, remember, they started out 2-0 in 2017. They started out 2-0, I believe, last year. And it didn't work out all that well by the end of the season. So I, I love the passing game. I love the defense right now. That O-line has got to get yelled, got to get healthy, and got to get better so they have a representative running game that's going to help them down the road. But to your point, Mike, they are a team that can put a lot of points on the board, and that is what you need now in the AFC.
1: They got that huge moment yesterday, too, with the game still in the balance when Henry Ruggs got behind the defense. That is why they drafted the speedy receiver from Alabama as the first receiver off the board in 2020. Somewhat of a disappointment last year. And even on Monday night, he flashed from time to time, but he was overshadowed, especially by Darren Waller. But whether it's Brian Edwards or Zay Jones or Hunter Renfro. Ruggs just seemed like the guy that didn't fit. That all changed yesterday with that long throw and catch And By the way, we, we have performed the analytical study here. 6,944.5 yards for Derek Carr if he continues at his current clip. six That wow. would be a record. Nice. That would be a record. Yes, yeah. that would be um, a record.
0: Yes, it would. Nice job out of you with the analytics. The uh, the uh, uh,
1: the Raiders really are, I think, a team that needs to be taken seriously, and I agree with you. I didn't take them seriously. Anytime you see that offensive line turned upside down, both the Steelers and the Raiders did that. It's like, what are you what yep. are you doing? And I guess the other side of the argument is, well, if the offensive line wasn't very good then, you know, maybe it is going to be an improvement. And I think for Pittsburgh, it's more of a of a new offense that's going to take some time to develop. And Ben Rothersberger has touched on that. Now, he needs to play better as well. He got outplayed by Derek Carr in his own field. But, uh, you know, with, with John Gruden's offense, you change out offensive linemen, it's still the same offense. And Derek Carr, i got to give him credit. I never thought he'd be able to coexist with John Gruden. I feel like he's becoming John Gruden. This is his fourth year with him and he's exactly what Gruden was looking for and Gruden has kind of willed the relationship to the point where he's getting the absolute most out of Derek Carr there's always been the sense they're going to go get somebody else and they just haven't and and Carr is becoming better than any other option that they would have had available
0: and and it's and it's always interesting on how a quarterback deals with a quarterback coach relationship and how you know how how symbiotic it, it is because you're right it didn't seem like that Gruden was accepting of Derek Carr and I don't know if Gruden is accepting of a lot of people who knows we, we've seen what kind of a gruff coach he can be with that with that Chucky face but still so how does a quarterback because you know we, we saw at times Derek Carr kind of speak up like you know he had like the rabbit ears and, and he maybe was a little sensitive and if he was then man John Gruden was not the guy to be playing for because he's going to let you have it with both barrels whenever he feels like he needs to so it, it, it didn't seem you're right it always seemed like okay I have him but I'm looking Somewhere else, and Derek Carr keeps saying, "Well, look, I'm I'm trying to prove it to you," and he's doing it yet again this year with a new offensive line and no running game. Josh Jacobs has got to get healthy. I I, I gotta believe it's putting it in in John Gruden's craw. Okay, you know this is the guy. If we're going somewhere, this is the guy. It's going to take us there.
1: Think of how many times Mike Mayock, the GM of the team, has said over the past few years, "Yeah, we are always looking to upgrade at every position on the team, including quarterback." <laughs> And he and, and I mean, who speaks that candidly about their quarterback? The quarterback is the leader of the team. The quarterback is the guy that the organization tries to prop up. They hadn't been doing much to prop him up, but I think, Mike, whether they intended it or not, and there's a good chance they intended it, they've been trying to draw something out of him, not just by way of how he plays, but by way of how he carries himself, how he behaves. You know, there's so many clips that you see over the years of Gruden trying to get quarterbacks to act more like you know the sheriff the tough guy the guy who takes over the team and and they finally found that sweet spot with Derek Carr Uh, we'll see how far it can take him again it's 15 games to go it could all fall apart all we know is their worst possible record is two and 15 at this point but uh, it's been impressive (laughs) to get the the Ravens and the Steelers out of the gates and to win both of them that is an impressive accomplishment for anybody
0: yeah, listen, I completely agree. Two and fifteen—that's that's that's a that's—I a, that's, don't think they'll be real happy with that. But uh, and you know, no, we I talked about this last week. Real, we talked about this last week real real quick. Is I know he's trying to get a certain attitude out of a quarterback, but I, I still believe what I said last week they're going to have the personality they're going to have. I mean, imagine if John Gruden tried to coach Eli Manning. Do you think he was going to get that out of Eli? Eli had the personality he had. It wasn't, you know, the grab the face mask and and yell a lot at the guys. I just think you get, have a guy, that's his personality, and you work within those parameters a, instead of trying to change him into what you want.
1: Interesting game coming up week three for the Raiders. The Dolphins come to town, rematch of that epic December game when uh, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick nearly got decapitated on the the throw that oh, that swung man. the game for the Dolphins and and the Raiders will be favored in this one. They'll be favored in this one, and in a few days from now, I'll probably pick them to win. I'm going to ride this one. I've learned my lesson. <laughs> the Steelers, on the other hand, they got the Bengals coming to town. Mike, and T.J. Watt has a groin injury that knocked him out of yesterday's game. My understanding is it's not something that they expect to linger multiple weeks into the future, but the fact that it knocked him out of the game in and of itself is significant. This is a guy who's going to play through anything and everything. He's got his financial security now that he has his contract. It, it had to have been bad for him to be – uh, questionable at first, and then downgraded to out, and we'll see. Uh, you know, and this is one of those where presumably give it some rest, so it doesn't linger all year long. How much rest do you want to give it? They got the Packers coming up in two weeks. Wouldn't stun me if they give him a week off against Cincinnati. They could probably, although I don't, I don't, I don't know if they could beat Cincinnati right now, but they could, they could hold their own yeah. with the Bengals and save Watt for the Packers if if uh, a week off would help him get back to 100% because they're going to need him against Aaron Rodgers and company in Green Bay.
0: I'll I'll say this real quick, Mike. Soft tissue injuries are tough because you start to feel better as a player, and players always want to come back. And if you come back too early, you just re-aggravate that. So a soft tissue injury, especially early in the season where you don't want to miss a lot of games, you don't want to fall into a hole, and Pittsburgh is certainly struggling right now, and they need that guy in the field. He knows they need him on the field. He wants to be on the field – but soft tissue, you know, hamstrings, like we'll talk about with uh, Tyrod Taylor from the Houston Texans, and the groin with T.J. Watt, those things linger. You've got to let those things heal uh, and, and come back so it doesn't happen again because then, then you don't get a 100% T.J. Watt playing. Then you re-injure it, and now he's sitting for even longer. So these can be t- soft tissue injuries are very, very delicate injuries on how you treat them and when you come back.
1: Yeah, Mike, it's groin, it's hamstring and it's calf. In my own amateur athletic experience, you you get yourself thinking you're fine because you feel fine. You're not limping anymore. It doesn't hurt anymore. Everything's fine. And then you try to exert yourself and it's not fine. You think it's fine until you try to do something more than just walk around. It's like, "Oh, nope, there it goes again." And you got, you know, another week or two that you got to wait for Sh- it to heal.
0: Mike, I'm sorry. You're gonna to have to let me know in in your athletic career. What was it? A hamstring? A groin? A calf? What was it? What what All did you the above. pull? And how long All were of them. you out?
1: All of the above. <laughs> All of the above. Uh, hamstring and calf, particularly. Not groin so much. But I had a hamstring injury once okay. that that took forever to heal because I would never let it because like oh, I'm fine. Right. Oh, oh, yep. oh! expletive deleted. I'm not fine. Try it again a week later. I'm <laughs> fine. No, I'm not fine. So uh, anyway, uh, yeah, TJ Watt may need a little time before he's fine enough to play for the Steelers moving forward. But you know, it's just amazing how quickly the vibe changes. And we see this every year. The results from one week, we get high or low on a team. And when everything resets to 0-0 with a full 60 minutes to play, and you start it all over again, you get, you get dramatically, not just somewhat different outcomes, you get dramatically different outcomes.
0: Oh, w- w- without a doubt. I mean, that's, that's why they say hey, it doesn't matter what happens week to week. That's why you play the game. It doesn't matter who you're playing. Just like you said, well, maybe you can take a week off against this team and come back for that team. Well, hell, you don't know. I mean, you could you'll, you could lose the next game. You find yourself in that early hole, but you're right. It is game to, and, and game to game, and you never know what's going to happen. We know the injury bug is hitting. We know Baltimore's one of the teams. Last year, it was San Francisco was that was the mass unit. This year, there's a lot of teams with guys hurt, but Baltimore seems unfortunately to be leaning toward that mass unit team uh, this year. So you you just never and that's the one thing you can we can try and predict all we want, but you can never predict the injuries and who gets hammered and how it affects you
1: and with a 17 game season now it's just hard not to imagine that most if not all teams at some point are going to go through it the question is can you hold it together and win games while you go through it and how long until you get out of it because the season is longer obviously than it's ever been before let's take a break when we return speaking of wildly dramatic changes in outcomes the saints last (laughs) week looked like they were headed to la for the super bowl now Looks like they're headed back to the days of the fans wearing bags on their heads. What went wrong with the Saints? We'll discuss that next here on PFT
0: Live. It's a disappointing loss. Give Carolina credit. Um, You know, we did did a number of things and uh, things that you just can't do to to win a game. Um, Offensively, particularly, it's it's as poor as we've been. In a long time around here and that starts with me um we we've got to do a better job going in uh, our protection plan wasn't very good it had nothing to do with us being short-handed with coaches or us being away or the covid all of those would 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 be excuses um, they they played better than us today and, and deserve to win the football game
1: I love Sean Payton, one of the great coaches in the NFL, one of the great coaches of all time. But when I heard that sound last night, I couldn't help but think, here are my excuses. I don't make excuses. Did you hear my excuses? (laughs) Because they are legitimate excuses. When you've got eight coaches gone – That's a pretty good excuse. When you've been living in Texas for weeks because you can't go back to New Orleans, that's a pretty good excuse. I'm not making excuses, but here are my excuses. But what do you do? You know, at some point, it's going to collapse on itself. When you're taking a guy off the training staff and saying you're going to help coach today, when you're grabbing Jermert bushrod from personnel and saying you're going to help coach today when Sean Payton is spread so thin he can't do the things he ordinarily does that's going to be a factor and we saw it that had to have been a factor Mike and I hope it was for the Saints sake because otherwise we're going to see more of this all year long.
0: Okay, a couple of things. First, I'm not going to go with they've been displaced because we just patted them on the back last week for being (laughs) displaced and doing what they did. So I'm not going to now say, oh, that's one of the reasons that they lost because they were displaced. This is a team and this is a coach who unfortunately has been displaced in the past. So, I'm not I'm not buying that one at all. Now, as far as missing coaches, that again takes you out of the norm. The normal meeting, the normal conversations, the normal you're still going to get the normal game plan but working with your coach. But I'll say this, Mike, it shouldn't have this much of an effect. It should not have this much in effect. Now, we do need to give Carolina credit, and I can see why I was brought on the show this year because I'm going to talk more about defense than Sam Darnold and the offense and what's going on. I'll give them their love, but Carolina defense is playing phenomenal right now. But So I think a bigger question is going to be, which Jameis Winston do we have? So last week, we were singing his praises, five touchdowns, no interceptions. But look at the difference of the two games, Mike. Last week, they were playing from ahead. So they were controlling everything. This game, they were getting smoked. So they were playing from behind. So everything changed. All of a sudden uh, the players, the defenders are in his grill a little more and we started seeing some of the old Jameis come back with a couple of interceptions. So which is it going to be? You can't sit there and say, we need to have a quarterback where we can only play from ahead where we're in control of everything. We need a guy that can bring us back. We need an offense that can, and I'm not just putting it all on Jameis. We need an offense that can bring us back. We need a defense that can make some friggin' stops to get it to our offense to bring Some back, these numbers are unbelievable. Unbelievable of when the last time uh, they had these numbers. And remember, I talked earlier about uh, Kansas City had 20 less plays than Baltimore, New Orleans had 30 less plays than Carolina, New Orleans had the ball for 17 less minutes than Carolina. They just got worked. Every way you can. So, to me, we can talk about the coaches. I'm not talking about the displacement. We can talk about the coaches. But I think the bigger question is going to be, which Jameis do we have depending on the game flow?
1: And, and you will be happy to know that after the game, when it was time to select a member of the Panthers roster for me to talk to on the telephone, because I tried to round some guys up after the 1 o'clock games, I selected Hassan Reddick, the pass rusher for the Panthers, I wanted to know, what did you guys do to get to Jameis Winston to keep Jameis Winston from doing what he did last week? And he said, look, it's simple. We had to shut down the run because against the Packers, they're able to run the ball and it made it easier for Jameis Winston. The play-action pass, he's on his spot. We had to move him from his spot. With Jameis Winston, you got to get after him and you got to get him off his spot. And we see what happens, Mike. When he has to start moving around, he's a different guy. He's on his spot. He picks his spot. He throws the ball. It works out. He starts trying to be Patrick Mahomes. He's not Patrick Mahomes. Both of his interceptions were, I think I'm Patrick Mahomes, and oh, wait a minute, no, I'm not. Because both of those throws, we've seen Mahomes do something like that and somehow complete the pass. Every time we see Jameis Winston try something like that, we see a guy wearing the other jersey catch the ball, and that's exactly what happened yesterday. And the more that the Saints pulled, or the Panthers, excuse me, pulled away from the Saints, that's something else Reddick told me. We knew as the score got farther and farther in our favor, he was going to be trying harder and harder, and we were going to have more and more opportunities. And um, th- that's the easy blueprint for the Saints. The question is will they be able to run the football to allow Jameis Winston to stay in a comfort zone and not? try to be Patrick Mahomes.
0: So, and also for me, this is a big week of coaching for Sean Payton and Jameis Winston because obviously Sean has seen Jameis play in Tampa and watched him and probably used that to base it on some of the way he's coaching him. But now we've seen him in that Saints uniform. Now we've seen him under pressure and I agree, trying to do things and make a play and he's not able to do it. So this is when... He's going to need coaching the most from Sean that says, okay, you're in this position. Why did you do this? Well, this is what you need to do. This is what we need to work on. This, to me, is where the, the greatness of Sean Payton is going to take over and hopefully help Jameis because we've still got to see. We've see we we've seen a Jameis of like wow, which we've seen in the past, and we saw a Jameis like Wow, that we've seen in the past. So, where is it going to go? So, Sean Payton's coaching, I think, this week is going to be huge. But I'm glad you had Hassan Redick on, a guy who had a big year with the Cardinals last year and then signs with Carolina. Listen to this defense. And you know, I got a spout on this. Two games, the first two games, they outscored their opponents 33 to nothing. Their defense has shut out both opponents in the first half. They have 10 sacks in two games. They're on pace, Mike. For 85 sacks this year. They have three interceptions as well. They have eight players who have had a part of the sacks this year. So it's not just one player, even though Reddick leads with three. The defense is playing great, and I'll continue to say, when your defense is playing great, you're always going to be in the game. Because Sam Darnold certainly is playing better than he played with the Jets, but he's got a great weapon in Christian McCaffrey, who had another what 140 total yards and dealing with, with leg cramps. He's getting a good relationship going on with DJ Moore right now. Still had a bad interception in, in this game. but the. The ability of what Christian McCaffrey brings to this offense, I think, is going to help Sam Darnold the most. But what's going to help him overall the most is that Carolina defense.
1: Yeah, I mean, what's helping Sam Darnold the most is not being on the Jets anymore. I, you know, at some point you have to ask, who was to blame for the fact that Darnold didn't work out in the Jets? And maybe it's the Jets, not Sam Darnold. But it is amazing. And Mike, I said this last night. To the extent that we're all watching Urban Meyer to see if he's going to be the next Jimmy Johnson, let's not overlook Matt Rule, who came to the NFL with just one year of NFL assistant coaching experience. He was the assistant offensive line coach for the Giants back in 2012, college coach. And last year, I thought they overachieved. I still thought they should have stuck with Teddy Bridgewater. I thought he did enough to stick around, but Sam Darnold doing well, Christian McCaffrey healthy for now, and the defense under Phil Snow. Phil Snow just watch. It's already starting. We're going to start hearing Phil Snow. Phil Snow. And next year, Phil Snow is going to be head coach if he keeps doing what he's doing with that Panthers defense.
0: Well, it's going to be interesting because Phil Snow has been wearing Matt Rule colors for the last few years. He was with him at Temple. He was with him at Baylor. And that was with him at Carolina. So it'd be interesting, you know, if that relationship breaks up because I'm glad you mentioned Phil. I mean, he's been obviously a huge part of of the Matt rule rise you know turning around Temple turn in the time he was there turning around Bailey when he was there and now doing the same thing in Carolina so they're a heck of a package deal right now without question and and you can't forget you know on the offensive side with Joe Brady and what he's doing after what he did with burrow at LSU then he was with the Saints for for a bit before Carolina but uh, yeah uh, Phil Snow and Matt rule have that tight relationship and I, I'm sure I'm sure Matt doesn't want that to go uh, anywhere else but you're right Phil Snow is all of a sudden gonna his agent's gonna start getting some phone calls
1: and 3-0 and is easily within reach they've got the short week trip to Houston they'll be favored I'd say six and a half points I haven't seen the lines yet but that would be my wild guess and uh, they win that game they get a couple of days off and they're 3-0 and with 14 to play which is a heck of a lot better than we thought the Carolina Panthers would be in an NFC where we're still trying to figure out Mike who's that team that's going to push the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Saints, at least for now, you know, you cross them off a little bit. The Packers, we don't know. We'll find out tonight when they play the Lions whether or not they're going to be real contenders. Uh, Some of the teams in the NFC West, yeah, they're looking pretty good. But uh, so the Tampa Bay Buccaneers need a challenger, and they may have one in their own division in Carolina, one that they didn't really expect.
0: Oh, I agree with that. You're right. Like, like you had uh, so you had nine teams in the AFC, which I thought is a bit much. How many teams do you have in the NFC that you think can contend?
1: Well, I, I've got Tampa Bay far and away above the rest, sure. but then sure. you've got the Rams. The next level would be the Rams, the Seahawks, and the 49ers. But you got to include the Cardinals in there, even though yesterday it could have gone either way. Uh, but uh, the mm. it, basically it's Bucks then all of the NFC West then to be determined. Uh, whether it's Dallas, right. whether it's Green Bay, whether it's New Orleans, whether it's Carolina, one of those teams is going to rise up and be on par with those teams in the NFC West. But right now, the NFC West looking pretty damn good top to bottom. Seahawks the only team with a loss in there, and they they had the game won yesterday. They blew it. Rarely do you see the Seahawks blew a double-digit lead at home, or uh, they'd yep. be 2-0 right along with the rest of them. So, uh, yeah, I, hey, B- Bucks have flaws too. We'll talk about them, I'm sure, at some point. But uh, an easier path, as I said earlier, for the Bucks to get back to the Super yep. Bowl than the Chiefs. But the Panthers may have something to say about it. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, the Cowboys getting off the Schneid with that couple of extra days of rest, going to LA, their home away from home, and getting a win against the Chargers. We'll talk about that next here on PFT Live. What's
0: it like that situation? Last drive
1: of the game. What's the feeling you guys have with them out there?
0: Comfortable, uh, to say the least. Very comfortable. You got your starting quarterback out there leading the charge in a two-minute drive to win the game. Uh, I don't think it get any better than that. And, uh, you know, we won. <laughs> it feels good.
1: C.D. Lamb, Cowboys receiver, talking about the relationship with Dak Prescott. Always better to win than lose. They had a good loss week one. <laughs> made them feel that they could be competitive that they could be relevant right. that they went toe to toe with the bucks and they went to la and beat a Chargers team that is going to be a very good team this year. That was a big win for the Cowboys on the road, place where there's a lot of Cowboys fans and uh Cowboys fans that showed up were happy with the outcome, 20 to 17 victory and more importantly, Mike not 58 passes for Dak Prescott. He he's on a much more reasonable pace now than he'd been cuz he only threw the ball 27 times yesterday.
0: So you know we, we've seen him throw a ton, and we've seen him throw for a ton of yards when he needs to, and we see the weapons that they have. Yesterday it was C.D. Lamb, who was, was the guy, I think, nine targets and, and eight receptions. But you just said it, 27 passes, so let's throw the runs in there, 31 runs. That's the balance you're looking for. And I will continue to say it, and not just because he's a domer, But Zach Martin is the best guard in all of football. And Zach Martin was back yesterday. And between him and Tyron Smith out at left tackle, who at this point both of those guys are healthy and they need to stay that way, they ran for 198 yards. And it was actually Pollard, you know, who had more of the, the day running, went over 100 yards on 13 carries. But this O-line is such a key. And when they can do this, because you have a great back in Zeke Elliott. but as I mentioned, Pollard had over the 100 yards, so you have two. You have the dual threat back there. But if you can do this, man, does it make Dak Prescott's job so much easier. A quarterback – behind a line and in front of a running back that can have a running game, knowing what you can get out of play action, knowing the freeze that's going to put on the D-line, knowing that you're going to get the backers to step up, knowing you can get an extra half a second to a second on a play action pass if you're running the ball well, can make all the difference in the world. And when this team does what they do, and and how about the last drive? What, 11 plays to go 49 yards the clock management at the end, I have no clue, no clue what Mike McCarthy <laughs> was doing, and, and, and ends up setting Zerline up for a 56-yarder when they could have got closer than that. But Zerline makes a, a phenomenal kick there, but a great drive to end the game and an incredible balanced attack on offense.
1: Yeah, Zerline gets a chance to atone for last week when he missed a couple of kicks. And you mentioned Pollard. I, I'm a firm believer that... Ezekiel Elliott's contract protected him from being cut this year because the way it's structured, all of his money this year became guaranteed last March. Not this March, but last March. And I think if they'd have had a window to move on from Zeke, they may have considered it because Pollard looks like the guy right now. Pollard has the burst. Pollard is the and we saw them cycle through, you know, running backs, and, and that's the way you gotta do it. You gotta be willing to say, hey, we're we're willing to move on. And uh, and we're, we're going to go on to the next guy. And and uh, Tony Pollard is looking like the next guy. And they benefit from having an Elliott around. He can still do some good things. But he was the better of the two yesterday. And I have a feeling we're going to be saying that uh, multiple times over the balance of the season.
0: Do you think when the numbers are right, you think they're done with Zeke Elliott? I think
1: after this year they may be done with Zeke Elliott. I think, yeah, contractually. that that uh, Because the guarantees – that that right. rolling guarantee is now over that portion of the contract is over but hey I, I I'm a, I'm a big believer because it was oh hey you advocated that he should hold out and look he hasn't been the same since he held out well but he got paid and you you, right. you 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 if you don't hold out if you don't draw the line in the sand then maybe you're DeMarco Murray or you just get to the end of your contract and they say thanks for the memories see you later good luck getting your money elsewhere so <laughs> he did what he had to do to get his money and he got a great contract that's that's given him more longevity in Dallas than he would have otherwise had, I believe. But Pollard uh, getting it done, Zeke getting it done yesterday, Dak doing enough. Ceedee Lamb is looking like the best young receiver in the NFL right now. He had the eight catches you mentioned, 81 yards, and uh, they're, they're one and one. And in the NFC East, hey, we'll take one and one. They're one and one. The Eagles are one and one. Washington's one and one, and the Giants uh, are still trying to figure out where they're going to go. But they're, you know, it's it's a it's not as bad as last year. I don't think. But it's still going to be as competitive as it was last year in that division, Mike.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of people were were putting Washington up there. And Washington, because of their defense – and that defense hasn't been what a lot of people thought it was going to be. What it looked like on paper. That's what I always say. On paper, you can you can talk all you want, but then you get on the field and you have to execute. Sometimes it can be different. And that defense, you know, has not been living up to you know the old air quotes as to what it looked like on paper. But we'll see, and that will stay competitive. Save I'm sure for the Giants there. But also the one thing, you know, as coaches, you'll always look at. What can I do? Instead of just patting my team on the back for a win, you find the things that went wrong, and there's always some things to correct. And also, you should note from the Chargers, hey, gang, you know, this was a close game. We had to drive down for a final field goal against a team who had two penalties wiped out on, on penalties, or two touchdowns, I'm sorry, wiped out on penalties. They got a field goal for one and a turnover for the other. So two touchdowns gone, and they had 12 penalties. So the Chargers were undisciplined in this game and had those, and, and part of that undiscipline with the penalties cost them the chance at two touchdowns. So while it was a, a good win for the Cowboys, you have to look and say, we were in a pretty good position because the other team was, was making some boneheaded mistakes.
1: And you mentioned that the Washington defense, not as good as we thought it was going to be. The Cowboys defense, much better than last year. Couldn't have been any worse than last year, but extremely no, improved. No. And that Michael Parsons pick, it's, it's not exactly Magic Johnson in the 1980 NBA Finals playing every yeah. position at one time or another, but to, to take Micah Parsons and say, you know what? We're down to Marcus Lawrence. He's out with a broken foot. We're down Randy Gregory. He's on the COVID reserve list. Hey, Micah, you played defensive end in high school. Go ahead and play defensive end today. And he does it, and he does it well. It's amazing. He may have won defensive rookie of the year in week two, Mike.
0: So what, what what's happened to that position, you know, that position ha- has changed over the years to having big players to where the 260-pounder, the 250-pounder was too big to play linebacker and too small to be DN, but that's now what you have. You have outside pass rushers anywhere from 230 to 260, sometimes bigger depending on the athlete, but you can do that with a Micah Parsons and you're seeing this, the versatility of players. Some teams like to do it more than others, like the Patriots. Bill Belichick loves to play his defensive players at different positions uh, to be versatile and be able to step in. Micah Parsons is a good enough athlete and these, these players today are incredible athletes to be able to do that, to have the ability to all of a sudden put your hand on the ground and, you know, make some plays. Again, get some pressure. Quickness is now the big thing on the outside. It's not necessary bulk, uh, though at times when there was going to be running situations, he wouldn't be on the field because it's tough to ask him to stand up right on the line to to an offensive tackle. But I thought he did a nice job. You knew he was going to try inside moves, outside moves, put pressure on the quarterback. It just shows the versatility you have in that player.
1: Hey, Mike, I can remember a time when they called guys like that tweeners in a very derisive yep, that's exactly way. exactly right. He, he doesn't have a home. Well, okay, fine. We make our home to fit him. We, we have a versatile defense where we use him different ways and we confuse the offense. Instead of trying to scram, uh, cram the square peg into the round hole, we just make a new hole. And this is what our guy is going to do, and we're going to get the most out of his skills. We're not going to label him. We're just going to let him be a football player. And we're going to put him wherever it's effective. And it's just, it's amazing how it's taken so many years for coaches to kind of drop that stubbornness and embrace great players. Just embrace a great player and figure out how to use him.
0: One of the the first ones, and I covered him in college uh, at Syracuse, was Dwight Freeney. Dwight Freeney was that 255, 260 pounder that. Again, was too big to be a linebacker, but at that time was kind of too small to be that defensive end. Listen, I played, Reggie White was a D end at 310, and Clyde Simmons was 290, 295 on the other side. Here's a 6'1", 6'2", 255, 260 pounder in Dwight Freeney, like the, the whirling dervish, the Tasmanian devil out there, just hitting the quarterback, and, and you're right, uh, GM's going yeah, okay, maybe that can work with a smaller guy who's a little quick out there against really big offensive tackles to, to get those guys in space. So uh, I, I'm glad it's happened. It was going to happen. It was the natural kind of evolution of the player. Players are such b- bigger, stronger, better athletes than they've ever been and had the ability to be more versatile than they ever have in the past.
1: And I remember when Freeney came out in the draft there, were scouts – that would not give him the time of day. And they're like, I'll just run the ball right at him and you'll put him in the front row. Uh, He may have been the key, as you said, to changing the perception and, and crafting a reality where we got a guy who can play football we'll figure it out later just give me great football players and i'll I'll, I'll figure it out i'll i'll blow up my system my system (laughs) to accommodate the fact that i got some great football players and i'll as a coach figure out how to deploy them all right let's take a break week two superlatives when the second hour of pft live begins right after this